Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio. I'm Felicity Duncan and with me is Alec Hug. Alec, we are about just about two months away from South African election. We're getting into that time when electioneering kicks into high gear and into that context comes South Africa's GDP numbers for 2018, uh, 0.8% growth. So that's a little higher than estimates. The estimates were about 0.6 to 0.7. So in some sense, that's a, a bit of good news. But 0.8% is, is hardly enough to uh, fix the problems that South Africa is facing. Yeah, indeed. And the projections from Treasury are that we'll be at 1.5% this year. Now, in the context of all of this is population growth. So when one has a look at GDP, it's it's fine to look at the nominal number, but you want to be sure that your younger people are getting opportunities in the job market, and that means you've got to be growing your economy by at least the same uh, level as you're growing the population. In the rich north, of course, the population growth is negative, so whatever happens, whatever growth is achieved in the rich north means that people generally are getting, or on, on balance, are getting richer. Whereas in developing countries, this is always a challenge to grow faster than your your population growth. And in South Africa, the population growth is 1.6% a year. So that means that this year, at best, half of the matriculants who came out of the system didn't get jobs just for the, the, the latest year. Next year, uh, at best, uh, they aren't all going to get jobs. Now, as a consequence of, of, of this, over the past five years, South Africa has grown at sub 2%. Now, you need to grow almost at 2% just to keep the uh, employment level stable. And when you grow slower, it means that the people who don't get the jobs are the youth, and then the youth would stay at home, and they are the people who get uh, irritated quickest, and they have no hope, and then they, they do things like uh, we saw in Caligny where uh, there was a, a, a difference of opinion on what happened to the death, a tragic death of a young young lad, and people started trashing the place because they just felt they wanted, they believed anybody who would give them some kind of a story. And as a this is something that the electorate is now going to be making a decision on. And really it boils down to something pretty simple. We all know what happened in the past. We all know that the Zuma era was something, it was a blight on society. It was plundering. It was bad economic decisions. Zumanomics is a disaster of Venezuelan proportions and it doesn't, it, it, it has left the political party uh, with a big issue. Uh, the new leader, Ramaphosa, is diametrically opposed to what uh, Zuma was doing. But is everybody in his party on the same page? And will he be able to bring them uh, to, to, to the party, if you like, in changing the way of approaching the economy? That's the question that people have got to vote for. I'm of the opinion that Ramaphosa is the best thing that could happen to South Africa, that he is a uh, a wonderful negotiator and his the way that he's uh, managed things so far suggests that he will indeed be able to put the country back onto the path that it was on uh, after the 94 election. And, and we forget so quickly uh, the country, in fact, 2006, 7 and 8 uh, had budget surpluses at a time when most uh, parts of the world were, were running big deficits. 
In fact, they, they inherited a, a budget deficit of over 7% of GDP from the Nats. So it can be done, and the ANC is capable of it. The problem is that the ANC has been led in a particular direction, and you've now, as a voter, got to believe, are the ANC going to continue in that direction, or is it going to go back to a period of sensible economic growth where the economy grows as it did uh, in the noughties, and uh, you, you start eating into unemployment? Those are the questions that voters have to make. And I guess outside of that, you also have to have a look at whether the opposition party. So if you're not going to give your vote to the political party that's got you in the mess, are you going to give it to an opposition party that can do any better? And those are are, uh, occupying South Africans' minds at the moment, overlaying it all as you have the skepticism and cynicism when you do hear any good news, and we see that a lot amongst members of the business community and society at large. And on the other hand, you also have the, those trying to change things. And uh, I, I love the clip this week that Ramaphosa posted of his conversation with uh, Trevor Noah and saying to Trevor Noah, he, he kind of <laughs> he caught Trevor Noah unable to say anything different, uh, where he said, okay, Trevor, and the cameras were going, uh, we we want you to come to the investment conference, and it's my dream to uh, raise $100 billion for South Africa over five years. We've got the first 20 last year. We want more this year. Are you going to be there? We we will we will arrange this big conference to suit your diary. <laughs> what could Trevor Noah say? So uh, it, it's interestingly enough, uh, Ramaphosa also said to Trevor, and I also want to get Elon Musk here because I want him to build a factory in South Africa. Now, we're not so sure. Yeah, that's it's, a good it's, thing. I don't know if it's a good thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it shows that is this electioneering or is this uh, somebody who's looking beyond the election and saying, I, I, I have to build this country? I guess where Ramaphosa is coming from is he's, he, he's, he believes you have to give people hope. Uh, and you you are you have to be confident that you're going to win the election with a good majority, and if he gets both of those things right, it'll be a different country in five years' time. Absolutely, and I think what you say there about uh, South Africans exploring their um, options is is quite important because really the two big opposition parties that stand to gain from uh, a loss of ANC voters are the EFF and the DA. Now, the DA obviously is consumed by some internal problems at the moment. Um, and the EFF, you know, their strategy really has long has been to pick off um, disgruntled ANC voters, people who feel very disenfranchised and so forth. They've picked up a lot of those and uh, that's really formed the kernel or the core of the EFF. So as we go into this election, you're absolutely right to say, you know, people must look at the ANC and say, is this, has enough change happened that we can now believe in this party? Um, but then if voters say no, they really have, well, they have three options. They can say, I'm going to give my vote to uh, one of the uh, big opposition parties, right? I'm going to pick between the DA and the EFF. I'm going to give my vote to one of these marginal small parties and, you know, that just to fulfill my, my make myself feel good there. Um, and the other thing is they cannot vote. Right. And in, in many democracies around the world, the decision to abstain from voting with the disenchanted voters, uh, people who just don't vote at all. That's actually in many places has become the biggest majority, really. 
Um, most people just don't vote because they get so disillusioned that they refuse to participate. And now South Africa's historically had a very good turnout. Um, and it will be very interesting going into this election to see what are people going to do? Are they going to go with the ANC? They're going to say, yes, it's true. This is a better party. They're turning things around. We can look forward with hope. Are they going to go with one of the big opposition parties? They're going to go for the DA, going to go for the EFF, or are they just going to stay home? Which, in a lot of ways, would be the saddest outcome. Yes, it would be because, well, you think that in South Africa, um, most of the population were disenfranchised uh, up until 1994. Women were disenfranchised until 1930. So, if you like the the, uh, there were no women voters in South Africa until 1930, which is quite scary actually when you think about it. And there were lots of people, lots of women who uh, worked very hard around the world to get the votes for, for, for themselves. Now, if you, particularly if you're a female, black female person, you're the last person in the world who shouldn't vote because so many people have uh, really sacrificed a great deal to make sure that you have that right. Uh, and if you're a black person and uh, you, you think about what went on before 1994, then you also have a huge obligation to vote as well. But just as an active citizen, and were it not for active citizenry, there would not have been change in South Africa in the past couple of years. Uh, the, the dramatic change that we've seen, there would have been no uh, end to the Gupta's plundering. And who knows where we would have been. We're probably at the door, as R.W. Johnson said. We're knocking on the door right now at the IMF. Uh, or if not knocking now, it would have happened last year. So there are lots of reasons why one must vote and, and become more aware. But I, I find South Africans are extremely politically interested but not always politically aware so it's it's like everyone's got opinions but those opinions are not always based on fact and that is probably the biggest challenge that those of us in the media have is to try and try and just allow people to understand that sometimes the the prejudices and misperceptions uh, can take you along the wrong path so you need to you need to almost be a little distant from the noise and try and understand a little better what is happening on the ground. And it's like the, the, the big uh, story we had this week on Biz News where I expressed uh, some con- optimism in the JSC, it's just on basic uh, investment terms. Uh, it's always right to be buying into stocks when they are at their lowest. And relative to other emerging markets, South African shares are the cheapest they've ever been. So it's a very sensible and and, uh, and logical or rational conclusion to come to. Magnus Haystek, who's uh, a, a guy I've known for 30 years, uh, who runs a very successful financial um, services business uh, where he advises what people should be doing with their money, has been uh, beating a drum of taking your money offshore uh, for a long time, and he maintains you should continue to do that. And I think where our difference of opinion is, is I'm of the opinion that, hang on, it, it, you know, it doesn't keep, things don't keep, in the same way as things don't keep going up forever, they don't keep going down forever. And as a consequence of that, all the su- signals are telling me that South Africa uh, 2020 is a very different country to South Africa 2017 uh, and, and before then. And as a, a consequence of that, there's, there are reasons why South African stocks will be doing better in the future. Magnus doesn't buy that argument, and lots of other people agree with him. I get it. I, it you know, we, that's what makes a market. But it has been interesting that a lot of the comments that come out of that from people are based on 
uh, uh, even a misreading of that discussion. <laughs> and and it it just is what it is that uh, that we have busy lives and not everyone has the luxury as as we as journalists do of being able to read and absorb and and be exposed to many different points of view and and sometimes very fortunately a lot of off the record stuff that you cannot repeat but it does shape your opinion. Absolutely. Now you mentioned there that uh, Ramaphosa. <laughs> interested in getting uh, Elon Musk to build a Tesla factory in South Africa. Now, uh, this is a bit of an inopportune moment, perhaps, to be reaching out to Mr. Musk, who is having uh, plenty of troubles of his own. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen some very strange occurrences at Tesla, and there's two things that stand out. One is that uh, he's found himself once again on the wrong side of the SEC for tweeting out inaccurate information or uh, information that is uh, in contravention or violation of terms of his settlement with the SEC. The SEC has now asked that he be held in contempt, which uh, essentially would would have some serious negative consequences. There's a real possibility of a period of suspension for him as CEO of Tesla. You know, he's really tweaking the nose of the SEC in a way that I think is a bit crazy. Um, And the other interesting thing we saw recently is the announcement that Tesla is going to close up all its um, dealers, its, uh, you know, brick and mortar dealers, ships and uh, is going to focus selling its cars exclusively online. Uh, Now, both of these things seem to be the actions of a man who perhaps is not taking a lot of external advice in. Or internal advice. (laughs) (laughs) It's... Felicity, we see it time and again. Uh, there was a, a, a really obnoxious man, and, and I, I don't say that word often, um, who I met through divorces, a chap called Martin Sorrell, um, who started a, an advertising agency called WPP, 33-odd years he'd been running it. He finally was ousted last year, but he was an appalling human being. Uh, you, you'd be in, in events or in uh, suppers and discussions, and someone would be making a would be talking, would be giving the presentation. And Martin Sorrell will be having a loud conversation at his table with uh, whoever would be prepared to listen uh, while the, the the other person is trying to express themselves. I was having a, a, a chat with somebody um, from the Financial Times one day. The two of us were in conversation. Martin Sorrell came along, ignored what was going on, just, you know, started butting in and, and, and uh, talking to this other uh, person uh, that I was engaging with. And it's little things like that, that one sees the reality of a human being who has got too much power and has got too full of their own uh, hubris. And as a consequence, they're heading for a fall. I really hope this isn't the case with Elon Musk, but all the signs are pointing in that direction that he isn't taking advice from anyone. He isn't getting good counsel. He's he's not seem, he's seemingly unable to find someone who actually pulls him up and says, Elon, this is not right. Don't behave like this. Behave differently uh, because it'll be in your best interest in the long term. And this decision that he made to suddenly stop selling motor vehicles uh, through the dealer network, and they've got almost 400 physical outlets around the world. Can you imagine the message that that sent to the Tesla staff who were sitting in Shanghai uh, recently appointed or those in, in Cape Town? who are working on various uh, uh, Tesla initiatives there, suddenly they've they, got to ask themselves, well, if we're going online 100%, am I going to have a job in, in, in two months' time? And indeed, uh, the people in Honolulu 
and uh, and in another, I think it was in well another place in the United States. I don't record it immediately, but within three days, they'd closed those branches. They're done. They, 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 Tesla branches don't exist there anymore. So it's it's decisions that were made which can't uh, or, or contradict what was written, for instance, in the annual report, which only came out ten days previously, where they were committing themselves to a more of a brick and mortar kind of approach. Elon wakes up one morning, says, no, we've got to go online. Nobody stops him. And the, the company goes through another jolt. So it, it's hopefully he does listen to Ramaphosa. Hopefully the fact that 57 million people love him because he has South African roots uh, will mean something. And uh, like we saw from Trevor Noah with his engagement with Cyril, uh, he is. He was a little bit uh, starstruck to a degree, and maybe Elon Musk gets starstruck by the office, if not by the individual, and uh, starts listening and, and doing things differently. Who knows? I mean, there's a uh, when one gets into when when human beings get into a position of extreme power, uh, we do know that it corrupts, and sometimes it corrupts absolutely. I'm really hoping that the the, the brilliant mind that Elon Musk uh, has and it possesses doesn't make him so brilliant that he thinks or he forgets that uh, the the as Socrates said the beginning of wisdom is the understanding that we don't know what we don't know that there is much that I actually know nothing he said and there is much in the world that that uh, I will never know if you can start from that basis that you need to keep listening and exploring and understanding that your your current base of of knowledge is uh, is only based on the limited experience that you've had so far and that there's so much more experience to come, then you can start uh, growing your knowledge. When you believe that you know it all, as sometimes uh, Elon sends to, sends to the message, is, that's the message he's sending out, then you are heading for a fall. that's all we have time for thanks for joining us if you'd like to read a transcript of this interview one is available on business.com in the premium section remember you can sign up to premiums just five pounds a month it gives you access to our great content including a lot of interviews from the uh, one and only Ali Kug. and you also get full digital access to the wall street journal